0: Welcome to a very bittersweet episode of the Sports Business Commute here on the program. I'm Michael Mankus, joined as always by Professors Christopher Lee and Daniel McIntosh from the W.P. Carey School of Business at Arizona State University. Gentlemen, it's one last ride into the sunset for us.
1: I know. Can we have some, can you loop in some cool music, please?
0: Uh, yeah, we can do that uh, now. Perfect. Now.
1: Wow, that's fantastic. How about now?
2: get want to know Hank, why do you
0: drink? Oh yeah. <laughs> <Hank, why laughs> this is good. right up your like Chris. I love it. It is the last episode of the Sports Business Commute. I'm graduating. I'm moving. I'll be gone. These two will still be here, but I'll be gone, so hey, you never know. There, there's nothing stopping you two from hey, doing the hey, sports business community. I am
1: going through some abandonment
0: issues at the moment, yeah. so let's not talk about that. Jeez. We'll see. It's our last yeah. episode with you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you two? You two could, you know, do a, like a men in blazers sort of thing. Chris, what do you think the chances of that happening are <laughs> probably not good? <laughs> zero. We talk enough. We don't need The, the chances recorded. of
2: that are zero.
0: They actually might be less than zero. I
2: think we need a vlog instead, just like a camera person
0: that follows us around. You just want to wave at a camera okay. and have it actually yeah. published. I do. I want some content like that. That'd be fun. Are you still recording your lectures? No, you only did that at Temple. Why don't you do that here? Yeah. Should. That'd be fun. You don't have the,
2: the capabilities.
0: <laughs> what was that? Recorded lectures. Oh, boy. How exciting.
2: <laughs> That's why we need, like, a, a camera
0: person to follow us around. Again, you only want this so you can wave at the camera. <laughs>
1: yeah, but half the footage would be you on your phone.
0: Or are you at Chipotle. You're I at mean, Chipotle, Chipotle for on sure, your phone. For sure. how, Wait, how, yeah. much, how
1: much screen time do you have a day?
0: A lot. What's the number? Uh, I don't I'd have to look. I don't know. Over, oh. under four? Hopefully over. <laughs> hopefully. it's, it's <laughs> absolutely over. Four
2: hours looking at my phone. Oh, oh uh, no l- way! If, if we're
0: talking just the phone, under four. I think it yeah. would be safe. Total I screen time? Yeah, definitely four. four hours, hours for four. sure. Yeah.
2: No phone, computers and stuff are included.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if we're talking like my Apex Legends habit, over four, right. easily over four. Okay. I'm telling you, y- y'all should get PS4s. I have you have it. P- yeah. Cue up with Apex Legends with me. Summertime. Yeah. S- Absolutely, I'm down. How about you, Professor Lee? No. No. (sighs) Now, sorry. If he invited you, who's
1: your favorite country singer? Eric Church. If he invited you to an
2: Eric Church Church concert, would you go? No. (laughs) (laughs) Am I that (laughs) (laughs) insufferable? Okay. I kid. When someday, when you're graduated, yeah, running running the team.
0: I appreciate that. No. You want to get dinner later? So, with this last episode, we figured that we would end it on a couple fun notes here. We're going to start with our opening thought, as we always do. The very first episode of this podcast that we did, we talked a little bit about our experiences, our history, kind of how we got to where we are. Uh, I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into that, and I wanted to ask these two, and I'll, I'll give a little bit of insight myself, um... What is a unique experience that you've had in the realm of sports business, or in your academic research, or just anything that you think is worth talking about that doesn't really fit in a uh, doesn't really fit in a one paragraph description of your your journey? So we'll uh, we'll start with Professor McIntosh. You got a good one. All right. So well, I, I got two that are kind of fun
1: and they, they build off each other. So um, for those of who don't know, I did a lot of consulting in the NBA, uh, specifically with athlete management and managing the player loads. And so I remember I'm watching Pardon the Interruption one day, and Tony Kornheiser is railing that LeBron James is sitting out on one of these road games. And it may have even been Phoenix, so sorry, Phoenix. Uh, But I remember we distinctly made the recommendation that LeBron should be rested for this game. And then to see, on part in the interruption, just getting lit up for this decision. (laughs) And I'm sitting at home like, wow, that's kind of cool. Like, I'm the root of that analysis. And so fast forward uh, about six months, Chris and I are presenting at the AMA Summer Conference uh, in San Francisco. And I get a uh, call from the NBA League office. And they're asking me to look at the schedule and to identify the points at which we would tell certain athletes to be rested. And so I said, okay, yeah, sure, I can run that through my algorithm. So I sent it to him and I said, hey, you know, making updates June 4th and August 5th, right, whatever the dates are, uh, looks like they would be dates where we would tell athletes to be rested. And so they sent back about an hour later, they sent us a revised schedule. And they said, all right, if we move these games around, Would you still tell them to rest? And we did that about three times before we got a schedule where we said, no, for the most part, we would be able to manage these loads and and keep the players playing. And I never got a thank you, never got anything about that, Uh, but I did get access to the official NBA schedule before it was released and
0: had input on when certain games were played. That's pretty wild. (laughs) (laughs) honestly. That's That's awesome. So it, it, it's one again. It's one of those things. In a one paragraph description of your life, that probably doesn't come up. It does not. But in a in a one paragraph description of something really cool that you did, um, come on, it's at yeah. the top of the list, right? I know.
1: And I've never met Tony Kornheiser, but I would love to tell him the story. I'd Be like, just one day, I was at home in Scottsdale, Phoenix, Arizona, watching, and I was being berated by Tony Kornheiser for telling uh, LeBron James to sit out.
0: Yeah, that's, that's quite, uh, quite an experience, it, quite a story. I'm trying to imagine interacting with Tony Tony Kornheiser in that way, too. It'd probably be, like, really awkward. <laughs> I mean, just for a variety of reasons, but, you know. It's also interesting, though, to think
2: about the kind of marketing or branding implications of resting players relative to their individual need for, for rest or peak performance.
0: All right, Professor Lee? Uh,
2: I'll talk about two. The first one is really old, so it's not cutting edge by any measure, but... Uh, Working at Camelback Ranch, so when I started, we were in a trailer in a dirt lot when they were building the stadium behind us. And uh, we didn't have a name, we didn't have pricing, we didn't have research, we didn't have anything. Um, and I was one of the three or four first people there in that trailer. And to go from that in the fall to a you know, sold-out spring training venue on opening day for the Los Angeles Dodgers was a cool experience that still uh, kind of defined my uh, sports career. Um, just in terms of the opportunity to see kind of a, a brand come to life and a stadium come to life, et cetera. Uh, so that one still is is one that I re- always think back to in terms of my start in in sports, so to speak, as you kind of go on your, your journey here. Uh, more recently, kind of on the academic side of things, something that I've, I've worked on that was interesting is uh, with another uh, colleague, and Daniel's been involved with this as well, is uh, there's a lot of... Uh, research into pronouns and the language that we use. And I'll start this off with a a simple example. Uh, That was a study done here at ASU that when our, let's just say, our football team wins, we tend to say we. When our favorite teams lose, we tend to say they. And so there's a lot of information in the pronouns that we use that um, kind of give a a lens into the mind of how we view certain situations. And so what we did with, we, uh, you know, when an MLB game is played, uh, if you go to MLB.com, they have, let's say it's the Diamondbacks versus the Dodgers. They have a write-up from the MLB uh, Diamondbacks writer, and they have a game recap write-up from the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers writer. And so what we did is we downloaded about 10 years of box scores, write-ups, et cetera. And what we're looking to see is are there differences in the way uh, those games are written up and recapped based on a variety of different factors. Who won, who lost, how, you know badly they lost uh, what the records were at the time of the game Uh, and it's still kind of an an ongoing project we've all kind of gotten busy with other uh, research projects but this idea of how we view sports from from different lenses and you know if you're an avid MLB reader or MLB.com reader you know reading the Diamondbacks um, writers kind of position on that game is is uh, interesting to Think about how it influences your, your role as a fan, your interest in the team, et cetera.
0: Very cool. Uh, I guess I, uh, to keep with the pattern, I'll go with two as well. One has nothing to do with sports. Um, so I'll start with that one. So I was super involved at my college radio station in Kirksville, Missouri, 88.7 KTRM. I loved it. I, I still love college radio. I still, I still tune in, you know, you can tune in online for most college radio stations these days. I still love it. Um, one year, I think this was, yeah, that was my senior year, fall, so it would have been September 2017, we were scheduled, me and a couple other DJs at the station, were scheduled to go to, uh, you alright over there? Uh, okay, Professor McIntosh has gotten up and he's, he's walked over to the clock.
1: It's broken.
0: The clock is broken, <laughs> apparently. We'll fix that later.
1: You didn't have to stop
0: well, and I, I did have to stop because you're just walking around. It's, it's, it's fine. It's fine. Point is, uh, we went down to St. Louis to cover the what I imagine will be the last Lou Fest. Um, and we got there. I, I was scheduled to get a media pass, which basically gave you access to the media tent. Uh, you could get in touch with, like, artists, and they would potentially come to the media tent. You could do interviews. I get there. They give me a photo pass. We had not brought cameras. I do not own a camera. Oh. So I was scrambling around St. Louis trying to find my uh, find a plug essentially for a camera. Uh, my cousin came through. If you're listening, Bob, appreciate it. Uh, the deal we worked out was that I got to use his his DSLR in exchange for him yeah. having access to all the photos I was taking. Okay. Um, and that's kind of the story of how I went from being the guy that was just like some loser in the media tent to I was standing literally five feet from Snoop Dogg. Well. While I, I don't know how much of this I can say, but he was uh he was smoking something that wasn't tobacco on stage. I was five feet away from him taking photos of this and I kinda stopped. I looked around I looked behind me. There's thirty thousand people in the crowd behind me. They're just losing their minds. I look in front of me, I got Snoop Dogg in front of me, and I'm just I'm just kind of taken aback at how weird and how strange some events can, sure. little things kind of led to this moment where I'm standing five feet away from one of the most popular rappers in the world, hmm. 30,000 people behind me. I'm just taking photos. So just kind of a interesting story of, and you guys, if y'all can't tell by now, this is going to be a long episode. So we <laughs> apologize. Uh, second thing that really comes to mind is the difference. I, I, same thing, uh, college radio. I was a sports announcer and. And in my senior year, a new press box was opened um, at the football stadium. It was air conditioned, which was more than you could say for the old press box, despite Missouri heat, uh, despite Missouri humidity, which actually screwed with a lot of our electronics. But what stands out to me, the memory that stands out to me there is our first game. And we were told what our booth was. And we get to the booth and there's a plaque on the wall next to the door that says KTRM 88.7 student media. And I wasn't a communication student. I wasn't a journalism student. But at that moment, I felt really proud and I was really fun. And I know this isn't something that necessarily uh, resonates with everybody, but it's it's just interesting how little small things like that, like the knowing that you changed the day of a particular NBA sure. game or, or knowing that, you know, uh, you, you were a part of the team that built Camelback right. Ranch essentially. Sure. yeah those little things that they resonate with us because they are things that like I said you wouldn't put in a one paragraph summary of your life but they're things that you remember and they are things that stick out to you so that's our last opening thought 12 and a half minutes later <laughs> normally we do this for like five minutes yeah, yeah. so we're really we're really uh, this is gonna be this is gonna be a stretch so hopefully you like listen to our voices Professor Lee you wanted to talk about the Delaware North's future of sports article for what the year 2019 2018 this is 2015
2: but i think we should use the the various topics that they cover so delaware north the basically concessionaire um created this report several years ago that looks at all the different aspects of sports and thought, thought it would be fun to uh, kind of have our own take ignoring what they said in the article but just rapid fire kind of go through some of these topics and think about where we think things are going in the I don't know what time
0: frame we want to think about. Let's say next, in the next 10 years, I think, would be would be yeah. fair. Because we say, oh, where are fans going to be in the next 150 years? It's <laughs> like, well, most of us are going to be dead. Um,
1: well, let's be honest. The Jetsons promised me a flying car a long time ago, and we still haven't gotten that.
0: So, Ooh, here, here's some fun fan fiction. The Jetsons and the Flintstones take place at the same time. The Jetsons live in the clouds. The Flintstones live on the ground. It's all really one big anti-capitalist critique. Fun fact. Interesting. You're disappointed with me. I'm not quite sure why. <laughs> all right. So, ignoring that, I'd say we go
2: rapid fire through some of these. The first is the stadium, which we've covered pretty extensively. We have. What is? What do you think are some kind of big changes or things to expect in the next ten years?
1: Buzz in, Professor McIntosh. Uh, I'm going VR. I'm all in on VR. I think we're gonna have like a thousand fans at some of these games, and it's gonna turn in. Have any of you seen the Peloton? This mm-hmm. bike, I, I think yeah. that's what it's going to turn into. People uh-huh. are going to be at their homes, and they're going to be able to. You could go to the game in Kirksfield, Missouri, with your junior roommate, and it'd be like no big deal. So, I think the I think virtual reality in the next ten years completely changes the model for what these experiences look like.
0: Okay. I think that's fair. I'm um, not sure it'll buzz in. Uh, okay, rapid fire. We got buzz. 20, okay, two minutes. Uh, you uh, get uh, uh, this is so much <laughs> pressure. Um, so when it comes to VR, I think VR is going to be huge. I don't know if. VR is quite ready over the next 10 years. I think over the next 25, for sure. Um, and VR is moving very quickly, but there are still some massive limitations with VR. I think you're going to run into some huge bandwidth issues until the... I don't know,
1: 5G and my counterpoint to that think of 1985 games, 1995 games, and 2005 games. Think about how much yeah. that technology changed in 10 years.
0: Very true. Um, when it comes to stadiums, I think... Reduced capacity is going to be the name of the game. And we've talked about this – again, we've talked about this before. Reduced capacity has to be the name of the game, especially when we're talking about how expensive the tickets are getting for families. It's no longer affordable to take a family of four to a baseball game. It's now 400 500 $600. You could do that literally just 20 years ago. It could be done for about $50. And now the costs have increased massively. I think reduced capacity, I think greater emphasis on VR. I think that's going to happen, but – I don't know, in the next 10 years. I think the big thing in the next 10 years will be that massively reduced capacity. Agreed. I'll say the integration
2: of stadiums into communities, which is no surprise to our avid listeners, less parking built into the community. They're used uh, regularly throughout the day and for uh, non-sporting events. Wow. Uh, You've never said anything (laughs) like that before. (laughs) Uh, Topic two, broadcasting. Oh, Professor Magizosh again.
1: Uh, I think broadcasting is going to go the way of... Are Twitch people oh, where that was we are? What I was that, you got to buzz in. <laughs> you did not. Bu- uh, I think it's going to be much more uh, immersive. I think we're going to see our our fans uh, actively engaging with the the production booth, being able to control. You know, if you kind of think of what we see with the mega cast for yeah. the Super Bowl or yeah. for the College Football Playoff where you get to act as the producer, you get to kind of dictate where these things go. I'm stealing everything (laughs) from Chris Lee.
2: That is exactly what I was going to say, or along those lines, that I think we're going to get to a point where the fans become the broadcasters. So you can subscribe to my channel on whatever, and I'm broadcasting the Diamondbacks game. And you tune in because, I don't know why you tune in. I know, great
0: selling point. Maybe maybe I'm funny or I look at it in a different way. So again, if we're looking at this on the 10-year timeline, I, I think that, I think the first thing that's going to happen I think media the media rights bubble is going yeah, to pop eventually. Sure. It has to. A multi-billion dollar media rights deals eventually companies are going to uh, media companies are going to realize the ROI on these is not as good as they would hope it is.
1: Interject. Uh, uh, does it have to pop or does it deflate? Cuz I think pop we might think of like it goes from 100 billion to 4 billion. Okay, okay, deflate. Yeah. I,
0: I, I think the, the valuation has to go down. And I think part of that is because of traditional media broadcasts like TV are being less and less and less viewed every single year. Uh Um, I think what's interesting, if we're talking about the future of broadcasts themselves, uh, NL Wildcard game last year, uh, Mike Petriello, Eduardo Perez, and Jason Benetti on ESPN did a broadcast called The Nerdcast, which Uh implemented all sorts of advanced statistics into the broadcast that was shown on ESPN. And I'm not talking about just... War and ops. I'm talking about defensive runs saved. I'm talking about graphics that were projected on the field. You know, essentially using the same augmented reality technology we've been talking about. But I think that's the method of the future: is finding broadcasts, and it does kind of fall into the same Twitch thing. Finding broadcasts that appeal to the segments of the audiences that are actually watching. Because the reality is, is that most, not most, but a lot of baseball fans, a lot of the traditional baseball fans. They're dying. They're literally dying. Yeah. The the younger crowd of baseball fans, they care about statistics. They care about those sorts of things. And I think broadcasts are going to start catering to that demographic. Sure. So, Chris Lee, if we had a Eric Church broadcast
1: where Eric Church is watching d back games and talking about his right. songs yeah. and the games, you're tuning in. Yeah. yeah.
2: Sure. The customized experience. And, again, it could be any fan that's leading the broadcast. If you like statistics and analytics, that could be your Say kind that of... with a
1: little bit more passion. If you like playing <laughs> stuff. All right.
0: Uh, the athlete. Ooh, buzz, buzz. Um, So what's really interesting about the athlete right now is that, I don't know if people really understand this, the degree of science and the degree of technology that's going into the training of these athletes is, is light years ahead of where it was just 10 years ago. Because now you have uh, motion tracking technology. There's this company called Kinetracks that essentially can measure the torque that a pitcher's arm generates and can, from that, determine how likely a pitcher is to get injured. Hmm? What? 20 years ago, as you go out and you throw nine innings and you hope your arm doesn't fall off. Sure. So when we talk about how the athlete is going to develop over the next 10 years, I think the training is just going to get so, so much better as a result of greater technologies. I'm not saying you're going to get Superman. I'm not saying you're going to get Clark Kent turning into, you know, a superhero or anything like that. But I, I think injury risks are going to go massively down as we get a better understanding of what uh, as we get a better understanding of biometric data. Mm-hmm. I think that athletes are going to be better suited for the games they play. They're going to have more specific training methods. Professor MacDush, you seem to disagree.
1: I think we could go into the world of robot sports. I honestly think people are just interested in seeing the coolest things and if you've seen any of the uh, advancements in 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 uh, robotics and, and technology. They have robots that can run fast. They have robots that can jump high. Is that like Boston? Yeah, Boston Dynamics. Dynamics. Yeah. yeah, doing Dude, some super so cool stuff. Insane. But and then think about the the concept of the integration between human and machine. And we already see this in the Olympics, where you have uh, athletes without legs that are now running with blades. Sure. Would they be able to compete in the traditional Olympics? That kind of stuff, I think, gets really, really interesting as we look. Like, would it be uh, – would you have any problem, Michael, with a uh, some sort of, uh, you know, uh, graft or something that took – a a tendon that was torn and was replaced by something metallic or something that is super strong and then because then the question just becomes when does the line cross from what we will accept and what we won't accept and so I think I agree with the premise but I think it'll be less human and it'll be more of these kind of extreme uh, kind of created athletes that are pushing the limits beyond what the human
2: body is capable of. Oh, modified performance enhanced athlete through a variety of of,
0: of mechanisms. I think something to keep an eye on and injuries. I mean,
2: I think that's kind of the next frontier of of using science to prevent them.
0: I I I just kind of an aside. I think that when we talk about cybernetic enhancements and we're talking about uh, technological advancements of the human body, this is not a sports issue. This is a society issue. This is something that in the next 50 years, Society will have a reckoning on. I, I am. This is this is my prediction. My my apocalyptic ludite prediction. We're talking about something that will challenge many people's definition of what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. And I'm not exactly looking forward to how that pans out in society large. So
1: let me. Here's my doomsday scenario. China has already come through and done some interesting things. Genetic editing. All of a sudden, China, China starts dominating the sports scene. Does the American Individualism, pride, allow China to become super, or do we start to compete as well? And I think I could see a nationalistic pride where we'd say, "All right, here's where we're going. We're gonna go take that." Yeah, it'll
2: be interesting with Olympics and kind of the the global stage. <laughs> we're getting all politics on our sports. All right, uh, the next one's third venue, but we've talked about that and it's kind of lumped into stadiums, so let's skip. Uh, sponsorship and advertising.
1: Ooh. Oh, Chris, oh, Lee. Chris Lee
0: was Lee in.
2: in. <laughs> I think so. There's a. Uh, uh, a company called GumGum Gum that's able to analyze like um, Jersey sponsorships and those kind of things programmatically. Uh, so we're getting a better understanding of sponsorships and the media value of them. I think in combination with that, we're going to start to see things like sponsorships within a stadium becoming almost like an open bid. Or even on on TV when we're watching, it becomes a marketplace similar to a Google – uh, advertising model, a Facebook advertising model where Buzz in, uh,
0: Professor McIntosh. <laughs> sorry, I
1: love this idea. So if we build this into the VR world, mm-hmm. imagine every user that has the VR headset gets their own ad and sponsorship. Right, right. right? That, yeah, that's yeah, right, kind of exactly. what we're talking yeah, about.
2: Yeah, continue. Sorry, no, that was the the. I still the end no, no, I agree, but I mean, uh, one, it, it creates a marketplace for sponsorship, and two, in, in like Daniel said, you can customize it to. Each individual fans watching a different and bidding. I like this bid, concept right? of
1: like programmatically bidding and yeah. and as
2: kind of conjunction of that working sponsorship more into the experience than kind of this awkward thing. And if it's more customized, it, it perhaps is is less
0: kind of distracting. I really have nothing to say on this. I um, you guys pretty much covered it, and I, I, I just I don't really think about marketing and sponsorship as much as I probably should. Okay, I think about so you'll
1: have a, you'll have some thoughts on this. Uh, NHL? Do they have jersey patches yet?
0: Uh. Not yet. So.
1: Okay, NBA. Do you see the two-inch square becoming the Europe twelve-inch? Yes. Yes. There you go. Yeah. There's that's an evolution.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think it just almost kind of. I won't say it has to, but there's so much money there but that some team will realize.
1: My fun story as a kid watching European soccer. I thought Vodafone was a team.
0: Because <laughs> yeah, I, sure. I, I had
1: no yeah. idea, right? Like in U.S., yeah. when it says Vodafone, that's a team. So I thought I was on Team Vodafone, and then I realized that they were the sponsor of Manchester United. I was dumb.
2: I'd also like to see sponsorship become more, you know, less distracting. I should say that rather than you know, we do a T-shirt giveaway and we slap whatever Safeway grocery on the T-shirt. I'm not sure that who's going to wear that around. Yet. Nobody. Well, it, that's actually that's actually something you, you brought up right. in your lecture
0: on Monday Whoa, evening. Like that.
1: <laughs> My other favorite part about that is they blast out, like, a triple XL. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so you're like, what am I supposed to do with this?
2: But think about it. Like, you're giving away 15,000 T-shirts with some, like, sponsor logo on that nobody ever wants to wear, and it's it three sizes <laughs> too big. Why don't we give out a shirt that people actually want to wear, and then it becomes sort of a marketing, advertising uh, component to your business. There you
0: right.
2: go. Uh, teams and leagues. Ooh.
1: Professor McIntosh. I think it's uh, within the next 10 years, we will finally have a global uh, league. And uh, my guess is going to be the NBA, that they're going to either have in Europe or in China their own division, and we will truly
0: have a world championship. I want that. I want that really badly. And it works in, say, like, you know, we talk about, like, the UEFA Champions League, right? It, it works in Europe. Um I think the issue is you first have to get the best players from those regions to stop coming to America just to play in the NBA. So when we talk about, well, Enos Kanter isn't a good example anymore, but we talk about a guy like Yao Ming. The next Yao Ming in China, if you want to have that competitive World League, the next Yao Ming can't just come to the NBA and play in America.
1: I'm arguing that the NBA becomes, they, they open up a NBA in China. So it's still the NBA. I'm oh, not saying totally. that we have these different leagues that come together. In oh, line. okay.
0: Uh, so you're essentially saying it's an expansion. Yes.
1: Here's the other thing that I think. I think uh, uh, Elon Musk and his uh, ability to transport at high speeds would make it such that you could get from China to L.A. in, I think, it's like three hours currently takes about 15, that you would be able to do road trips if we're able to get this kind of inter-ballistic continental travel that he's
2: talking about. Yeah, I mean, air travel, those are going to advance, and so it's going to be... I will take a smaller step. I'll say we'll have a Big Four team in Europe, which I think will be NFL to start. Um, I will also say I think we'll have a Super Bowl in Las Vegas, which will be an interesting kind of uh, stake in the ground in terms of where our view is on Gambling and, and those kind of things. What
1: city in Europe? Ooh. London. Um, yeah.
0: London. It has NFL. to be London, right?
1: I was going to say Frankfurt. I would say Frankfurt would be a second. Yeah. Right? They're, we've they're, already a big, done they're
0: a big market, too. We've already yeah. done. I, I think Big Four in Europe. I think NFL in Europe makes sense. NLB in Europe doesn't. Not under the current schedule. Too many games. Well, not only that, but imagine the road trip. Right. Right. It, it People, I mean, teams already complain, like, if you look at a team like uh, Tampa Bay, they complain about having to fly to, like, say, Seattle. Right. And then fly back to Tampa Bay. Elon
1: Musk can solve that.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, let's put all our faith in Elon Musk. <laughs> all right, uh, esports and fantasy sports—huge buzz, revolutionary. I mean, we're talking about we're talking about an industry that is growing more and more rapidly by the day, is capturing a huge proportion of the potential sport fan uh, population. Um, from an esports per- uh, perspective, especially we've talked about this before. There are so many different options for esports fans. So I, I think it's a little bit disingenuous to say, "Oh well, uh, I'm an esports fan." Because, like for example, um, I really enjoy watching Apex Legends. Right? I couldn't care less about watching, say, Hearthstone, or watching at this point in my life League of Legends. Even though I dumped a lot of hours of my life into League of Legends once upon a time. Uh, Fantasy sports, I think with the legalization of sports gambling, when you're going to see it go nationwide, I think it's going to explode via DraftKings FanDuel. And I'm sure there are going to be other competitors Mm -hmm. that pop up because there's so much money to be made there. Uh, Professor McIntosh is buzzing in. Uh, Back to esports. I think uh, if we fast forward
1: 30 years, the 2010s are going to look like the 1970s of traditional sports it's going to be when this starts getting legs starts getting the national tv mm-hmm. deals and you fast forward 30 years and this is ingrained in our culture and we will we will be looking at some of today's athletes as the babe Ruths and the etc is like oh look at what they did
0: in those golden days i already oh are we, yeah i was going to say i already talk, look at a guy like faker who plays league of legends i feel the same way he but, is the babe ruth of league of legends but i would argue that you are already
1: in that circle i'm saying in 20 years It'll be
0: socially recognized sure. who Faker is. Yeah? I think what's also important to realize is that Overwatch League, for example, got a media rights deal with ESPN, right? And the immediate reaction was about what you'd expect: mm-hmm. "Oh, this isn't a sport. This isn't a sport. Whatever, who cares?" Right? I mean, again, it comes back to the same issue: those fans are are aging out of the sports demographic, and by aging out, I mean kicking the bucket and falling off their mortal coil. They are ex sports fans. No, no Monty Python fans. <laughs> no, no? <Ugh. laughs> but my point is, is that that the resistance that esports currently holds from you know a pretty sizable portion of the sports fan population, I think it just goes away, sure. and it, it goes away partially because it gets more and more exposure, and partially because the loudest voices against it are just going to fade out of the sports lexicon. I guess that's not the right word. Lexicon would be like a vocabulary. The sports sphere. Ooh, there you go. Right. There you go. Nice. Uh,
2: all right. I agree with you guys. I'm going to leave that one. Uh, the fan or kind of fan base
0: economics, the evolution of the fan, however you want to look at this. Buzz. Um, uh, it ties into the live experience. The home experience has gotten so, 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 so good over the last 10 years alone, right? It wasn't that long ago where there were certain sports that were essentially unwatchable on TV. Hockey was essentially unwatchable. Because you couldn't follow the puck at all. Like, yeah, you could see the fights, and you could see when a team was celebrating a goal, but you couldn't see the puck. Golf, you want to talk about a sport that has massively improved its watchability in the past 10 years. You look at golf's integration of trackmen. You can see the ball path. You can see how fast the ball's traveling. I mean, why? Uh, And Now, there there are exceptions like the Masters, right? But why would I go to some random tournament in Dallas or whatever when I could just sit at home drink cheap beer and eat cheap food and not have to wait in line at the restroom and also could see the ball unlike in an actual tournament setting because it's impossible to follow a ball. I, I think the at-home viewing experience has all or will all but kill the in-person experience. And I think that ties into like VR as well. Yeah, I'd say uh, along
2: those lines, attention. I mean, I think we're increasing. I mean, we're flipping between different shows, different articles, whatever on our phones, different media. Um, and, and, being able to capture a fan's attention for a prolonged period of time. A three-hour game is increasingly very difficult, and we're going to have to evolve either how we're presenting it, the structure of the game, I don't know. Buzz? So both of you have avoided
1: the economics question. Um, Unfortunately, I think uh, income inequality is going to continue to get wider. I think what that has is some pretty interesting consequences in terms of the most affluent fans being able to afford sure. premium seats and, and having a, a large portion of our fan base priced out, which is the whole concept of of the third venue and, and those mm-hmm. things happening. Um, but I can absolutely foresee uh, it getting a, a breaking point being when the average fan no longer feels like they can attend a game that we run into some problems. Sure. Um, so that's what I'm kind of curious to see. How do we solve that, right? Because if you if you are an avid fan, even though it, the at home experience is cool. You would still like to go to the game. Like mm-hmm. I think right. every fan wants to have sure. that experience, especially for the Super Bowl or for you know some of these marquee events. And if it just becomes so expensive because you know Bill Gates throwing him out, he's a great guy, but he starts right. spending twenty thousand dollars for season tickets, the teams are going to take that money. Sure. And to to be able to create those spaces where the average fan can go in will be really interesting to see how they kind
2: of uh, manage that problem. Sure. Yeah, well said. Uh, let's see, extreme and adventure sports, or maybe emerging sports, what kind of, where do we see that area of sports going? Or maybe some
0: some sports you think are, are up and coming? I'll buzz. Um, so, other than eSports, we're not including eSports, correct? Correct. Oh, I dropped my pen. Correct. Um, I think when we're talking about, like, extreme sports, X Games and all that, they're, they're still going to continue to be a niche. Hmm? Um the ratings on them aren't very good. The fan bases aren't growing, but I will say this: the fan bases that are there already are passionate. Question. Yeah. Answer.
1: UCF, uh, UFC, extreme sport. I'd say so. Kind oh, it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if if,
0: if, we're, if we're talking about like extreme sports, yeah, I guess so.
1: Right. I think it's doing quite well.
0: Hmm? It is. Sure. Um, but if, I, I, whenever I hear extreme sports, I think like X Games. I think uh, snowboarding I, and skateboard. Yeah. Um, in that vein, those sports, X Games-type sports, they're going to continue to exist. They're going to continue to be popular, extremely popular in their communities. I don't see them growing and exploding into being you know, a nationwide phenomenon. Sure. I mean, yeah, you had guys like Tony Hawk in the 90s, but yeah. I guess the, the the way to put it is if a majority of young people saw Tony Hawk on the street today, would they recognize him?
1: <clears throat> well, I think there's a bigger social thing going on. The answer to your question is no, and I think the bigger social thing is people are spending less time outside. Right? Mm. And <laughs> for the most part, extreme games happen outside sure. on mountains or on skateboards, whereas a lot more people are spending their time on esports, mm. right? Like I <clears throat> I remember talking to a parent and she's like, "I'm begging my son to go outside." Like he doesn't want to go out and play with sticks and play in the street. He wants to play Apex Legends. He right. wants to play all these different games. And I think those uh, consumption patterns are going to eventually spill over to some of these sure. things because people just aren't doing them the way they used to.
0: As for UFC, uh, UFC is going to continue growing, I think. Um, they're fine. They're fine where they are. I think I think Dana White has a pretty good idea of what they're doing. I mean, they just got bought for $4 billion a couple of years ago. Dana White has an idea of what he's doing. He's a good promoter. Um, and I think as – and I have a theory about this. I think as professional wrestling falls more and more and more out of the, the mainstream, people, will still, people still want some sort of combat sport. I think there's still a demand for that. But wrestling has gotten so far out of the mainstream, I think mm-hmm. UFC is the, the obvious choice because boxing has really suffered a lot um, in the past 20 years or so. Uh, not a whole lot of advances in the sport compared to UFC, which did not exist until 1997. So I think UFC is in a pretty good shape. All right, agreed. All right, um, <laughs> that was easy. That's, man, that's a tough one. Like extreme and adventure
2: sports and where they're going and the challenges with that.
0: For oh, some. I will say one thing. I think that there, I, I think that there are markets, albeit small but affluent markets, for sports like cliff diving. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like the the Red Bull, what's it called? Like the Red Bull Adventure series or something like that. Yeah, but that's like saying there's still a market for yachting, and then sure there
1: is. Like the America's Cup still happens, but it's
0: right. Uh, and I think <laughs> I think it will continue to exist. I think it will continue to thrive is, as well as it could. But I'm not I'm not th- I'm not, La- lacrosse. not saying cross. I, mean, there's
2: another... I like lacrosse. Yeah, actually. no, I don't. That's what I'm just. I, I don't. Yeah, emerging I, sports.
0: I, w- I don't know if I would call lacrosse emerging at this point, but uh, <laughs> it could be at some point. I'm interested to see if indoor football can actually finally take off, but I, I'm skeptical. We'll all see. Right. Payments and ticketing. This is the last
2: one.
1: Crypto. I'm all in on crypto. Ooh. I love it.
2: You didn't I buzz. You didn't.
1: <laughs> How many points did I lose when I buzz <laughs> A again? lot. A lot. Minus. You're out. <laughs> You're God. done. In
0: quizball you lose minus five. Yep.
1: Um, I think we will see this online payment. So first of all, uh, for those of you who don't know, I think uh, Africa and Asia have set the standard for mobile payments. I think we're going to see uh, that become much more adopted. And this is the Venmos. These are yeah. the, the, the Zells and these types sure. of things where we, we're doing much more things uh, with our phones. Um, I also think this this blockchain technology is as lamented as it's been because of the, the kind of uh, bubble that was there. The underlying technology is incredibly sound. And I see that uh, eventually taking off and and being kind of an infrastructure for how we go through and and pay for and, and interact with different things. And we'll be able to facilitate transfers by, you know, kind of touching phones and paying for things. We're already starting to see that, right? You can go to the Amazon store and right. you, you, you don't even have to check out, right? So yep. I think that's where this is headed to mobile. Uh, unfortunately, cashless. Yeah. Uh, we've already talked about the you know some of the underserved populations that struggle with that. I personally struggle with some of the issues with privacy and data and who knows yeah. what I'm purchasing sure. and, and what they can do with that. Um, but uh, on the flip side, the, the trade-off of ease, the trade-off of security, uh, some of those things I think are going to lead to wider adoption of, of these kind of mobile payments.
0: I think those adoptions are only going to go as far as the government allows them to, or as or as, as far as the government is comfortable with. If we're talking about just from the United States perspective. We're only talking over the next 10 years. I don't think the United States government is looking to close its mints at this point, I guess is my is my, is my my argument over the next 10 years.
1: My counter to that, I believe we lose, I don't remember the number, but we lose money on every penny we mint. I, costs, yes, we do. It costs right. more to make the penny than the penny is worth, right? One Correct.
0: Point. With that in mind, though, I, I I don't think that the U.S. government will stop printing paper money anytime soon. I think there is a demand for that, for the government uh, from the government. I, I again, when it comes down, when it, we're talking about payments and how the currency operates within the economy, we're talking about something that is very intimately intertwined with the government. If we're talking about Bitcoin, yeah, it's different. But if we're talking about full crypto U.S. dollar payments, I think that's going to require some significant governmental change. I mean. And I I don't know if the United States federal government is going to be quite as on board with crypto as... See, I
1: think you underestimate their greed motive, right? We look at first gambling, not legal. Now all of a sudden we realize how big of a market it is and we can make money off of this and there's demand for it. Sure, we'll make it legal. Look at marijuana. This is something that was widely condemned illegal in all 50 states, slowly starting to see an evolution and a change in that. I think if someone can put together the business model, someone can show the benefits, and then there's popular demand for it, I don't see a, a reason why the government wouldn't be able to go. I, imagine you could almost get rid of the IRS. You want to know why? Because we have every single transaction logged, and your tax bill is calculated instantaneously Sorry. for you. Yeah. Like, in theory, is this this, this where I, I can just I just think you're underestimating some of the other pieces that are at play here.
2: All right, in terms of uh, I mean, I think you guys covered payments, tickets. I'm trying to think of what will change. I think season tickets might start to go away. In terms of how we view them. I mean, that's a lot of upfront commitment. It's a lot of upfront cost. I think we're going to have to evolve how people buy into kind of that sports uh, experience. The Good. past yeah. thing
1: seems to be big. Yeah. Right.
0: right. Right? Yeah. So it's like a subscription model of sports event attendance. I couldn't agree more on the season tickets point, especially when we're talking about like a league like MLB oh my god 81 games yeah. a year and and everybody says oh well we, we did it back in the 70s and 80s and the 90s think about what you had to compete with in the 70s 80s and 90s disco <laughs> hey
2: <laughs> Or a way to give some of the tickets back, or even—I mean, we think about StubHub and how that's easy, but it's still clunky for a lot of people to do that and a hassle, et cetera. So I think that type of—I was going to say—have
0: you have you two sold tickets on StubHub? I know you probably have. I have. I you had have a while. Yeah, have yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, the the crazy thing about StubHub is that it it, it does still feel clunky to mm-hmm. sell the tickets if right. you're selling more than like one ticket at a time. Right. It's one thing if you're like, oh, well, I have an extra ticket. I'll just put it on StubHub. That's generally fine. But if you have to sell more, if you have to sell a pack, right. eesh, yeah. it's not easy. So I, th- I think season tickets do eventually. I mean, you're already seeing teams focus more on their mini plans because they realize that the margins are still pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say for an MLB team, a season ticket would be $30 a seat per game. The mini plan, we charge 35 a seat a game.
2: Or the subscription model, recognizing that not every fan's going every game. True. So you optimize it in a way that makes it work. Yeah, that's an option
0: as well. All right. Well, that is all of the topics we wanted to talk about on the Delaware North future of sports uh, article. We're forty three minutes in, forty four, closer to forty five actually. After I add all the music in from earlier in the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so, with that, I'm going to give each of you uh, as much time as you want to just kind of get on your soapbox and just talk about something, anything, seriously, because this is the last. This is the last ride. You know, we're we're going off into the sunset, right? So one topic doesn't even have to be sports, something that you that is important to you that you want to talk about. And uh, I'll let you two start. My current one uh, is communication.
1: So uh, I look at online dating. I look at texting. I look at how we communicate and how that's evolved over time. It blows my mind. Um, I also, you know, kind of at a a social level, and when I talk about some of the emails that I get that have tech speak in them, like I have students send me emails that end with LOL, and I'm just like, okay, that's kind of, but just this evolution of how we communicate, what we talk about, how we talk about uh, is is fascinating to me, uh, seemingly uh, a decrease in the level of formality and the the level of, of not consideration, but just the level of effort and and Mm -hmm. kind of um, you know, the, the the pomp and circumstance that we used to have and how we interact. I kind of miss that. Um, I do. You're, you're, you can bob your eyes at me all you want. Um, but I think that's I think that's something that's kind of uh, evolving and, and kind of well, I would argue devolving mm-hmm. into. Uh, A kind of interesting state, and so I just—I'm kind of curious as I, you know, age out, uh, as uh, Michael so nicely puts it, uh, from being cool uh, to see how the kids these days are communicating, uh, where communication's headed, where uh, family relationships are headed. The nuclear—there's just so many cool things happening in our society that are causing changes, mostly for the better. I'm not Mm -hmm. trying to say that they're negative. I'm just fascinated. Uh, the older I get, the more I enjoy people watching and see how they interact with each other. My favorite show right now, and I'll be fully honest with this, is Survivor. Mm-hmm. I love watching who's lying to whom, who can tell, if I can tell who's lying. Like they get ready to do the vote, and I'm just sold out to see who's getting kicked <laughs> off the island. I'm hooked every Wednesday night. Thank you, Jeff Probst. Um, but that's that's what's got me uh, thinking in my my older days.
2: I think I'll. Uh... I would build on, it. I don't think my answer is going to come as much of a surprise, but urban planning and how we design cities, communities, uh, but along the same lines. I mean, we we mentioned a couple minutes ago how people are increasingly staying in, they're watching their TV, they're on their phone, they're playing video games. And so we need to build communities that, uh, you know, to go anywhere, you're you're walking. You have to get out of your house. I mean, you imagine a scenario where you go home from work, you park in your garage, you close the door, you don't talk to your neighbors, right? And so if we build... Um, communities where we're you know, walking and engaging with people, healthier communities where you, know, you don't have to drive 45 minutes to get to the, the stadium or um, you, know, you ride your bike to work, whatever it is, is going to be a, a game changer. And there's plenty of communities that are doing it already, but I think that's an opportunity to um, balance some of this kind of increasing use of
0: technology, but still bake in um, health and wellness and fitness and social interaction so, for mine, I'm actually going to tie it a bit more into sports. Um, in the last decade, uh, the NHL, the, my, my sport of choice, the NHL has undergone a revolution in the last decade. In 2013, teams began hiring hockey statistics writers and moss to form analytics staff on their teams. It was essentially the Money Ball of the National Hockey League, right? And this was in literally the last 10 years. In 2009, players were being signed to contracts just because they were good in the room or they could hit a lot. Mm-hmm. And they were grinders and they just had a good work ethic, right? And what the NHL did was over the last 10 years was uh, more or less found a better, more effective way at evaluating its players. How does this tie into my soapbox? I, I think as the world changes as rapidly as it is right now, I think it's critical that we stay open to new ways of thinking, new patterns of thinking, uh, use the ASU buzzword, innovative ways of thinking, right? And we, we think about way and we think about problems in ways we hadn't before. And you know what the worst part about this new line of thinking is? It's that when you think about old problems in new ways, you create new problems. And those new problems require new ways of thinking too. So you always have to stay ahead of the curve with however whatever you're approaching, whether it's communication, whether it's urban planning, mm-hmm. whether it's – literally whether it's the analytics department in your hockey op- – the analytics staff in your hockey operations department. These new problems require new ways of thinking and it requires thinking about these things in ways that we've never done before. So that's kind of my soapbox is that as the world changes and as our patterns of consumption change and as we change our behaviors, things will not always be good. And I I foresee some pretty not great social upheaval in the next several decades. But I think what's going to end up happening is the better people can adapt to the, the way things are and the way things are changing. The better off they'll be in the long run. So whether that is in Moneyball, whether that is in your communications, whether that's with your relationships with your family, uh, the world is changing. Sports are changing. Business is changing. Uh, and this podcast is changing too, because it, it, it'll be it'll be changing from being a podcast to being a former podcast. Uh, and with that, <laughs> you know, what, what what what's the quote? The one constant in life change. is change. Uh, my other quote, especially as it relates to this podcast.
1: Uh, one of my favorite Twain quotes is, "I didn't have the time to make it short, so I made it long." <laughs> well, see you later. <laughs> That's one of my favorite quotes.
0: <laughs> I, I, I also liked uh, what was his. Uh, I, I visit heaven for the uh, heaven for the climate, hell for the company. Wow, Mark Twain. Uh, Endless that, quotes.
1: With that said, I would feel remiss if I didn't give a shout out to Sam Renault, who's also leaving us. Yes. Um, so thank you, Sam, for all the work you did helping uh, get this together, giving Indeed. us the. Uh, kind of platform to, to spout our thoughts and uh, best of luck in North Carolina.
0: Well said. And our <laughs> co-host here, Michael Mankus. Thank you, guys. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Um, I I imagine uh, my past our paths will cross again at some point in the future because that's what happens in academia and that's what happens in sports. It's such a small world. Everybody knows everybody. Other cliches. Thanks for tuning in to the final (laughs) episode of the sports business commute here on the program. It has been an absolute pleasure sharing this with you (laughs) and being forced to wave at the camera. It's been an absolute pleasure sharing these uh, stories and these ideas and these thoughts with you guys uh, for the last year uh, I'm looking forward to whoever takes the mantle. I I assume somebody's got to talk about this stuff again with us, right? We'll see. Or with the program. Sure. Somebody's got to do it. Sam, well, you're not going to be here. Whoever the next program coordinator is, find find the uh find the guy who who guy or girl, we don't discriminate, who knows audio engineering because that's kind of the whole point here. Thanks for tuning in to the Sports Business Commute. We won't see you next time, but uh we're very thankful that you tuned in. Have a good one.